Delaware County's premier podcast with your hosts, Dennis and Michelle. Welcome to This Week in the Bear Cave, everyone. Dennis Zarrell and Michelle Roselle at your servers behind the mics again this week. And this week we are sponsored by Abode Real Estate, your professional real estate advisors in Colorado Springs and Teller County. And Animus Wellbeing, a holistic approach to helping people achieve a more mindful and healthier way of life. Uh, Michelle, guess what? We are celebrating one year uh, of this podcast. Congratulations. I've only been here for part of it, but congratulations. Yeah, well, you're you're a big part of it. Well, thanks. But, uh, you know, now it's nice because the barricade can get back to normal again. Oh, my gosh. Yes, please. The, the elections are over, and, uh, boy, Woodland Park has spoken. They sure have. And they've spoken in a big way. <laughs> Indeed. But, you know, we, we won't let the cat out of the bag just yet because uh, Trevor Phipps is back again this week, our field producer and man about town. So, coming up on our third segment, we're going to kind of break down the... Uh, the post-mortem, so to speak. But uh, man, uh, if you look at the numbers, and I'm sure they'll be published somewhere, they're uh, they're pretty one-sided. Pretty much. And didn't you say it was like the best voter turnout ever? That's what I was told. I was told that there were more voters in this election than there have been in quite some time, if not ever. But I, I think maybe uh, maybe Trevor will be able to clarify that for us a little bit. That's that's amazing. It is pretty amazing. You know, bottom line is we want to thank all the candidates who did come into the bear cave and talk to us either in person or on the hotline. But it's uh, yeah, it's over. It is over. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. So today we've got uh, we got a pretty good lineup. We're back to normal, like I said, and we've got Zach. Daniel. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> He's coming in. So that's going to be kind of cool. Yeah. Get to talk to Zach about uh, what's happening in the Butte Theater this year. Right. They're in Ripple Creek, so that'll be kind of cool. But uh, once again, there's no shortage of stupidity in the world, especially in the world of political. It seems like we just can't get away from it. But as much as I don't want to talk about this stuff all the time. <laughs> you can't not. <laughs> you just can't help it. First of all, the wokester herself, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, good old AOC. She's under investigation for failure to report over a million dollars in campaign expenses. She forgot? Uh, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> well, what it boils down to is there's been a two-year investigation into uh, AOC's campaign financing and uh, found that uh, the good old socialist leader, you know, she would probably do well in Donkey Derby Day. She kind of kind of looks like a jackass. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> That's a real statement. <laughs> Anyway, they found the socialist leader failed to properly disclose her campaign expenses. But get this, she won't face any punishment. Uh, That's unreal. I wonder if she went to the Oscars. (laughs) Nobody gets in trouble. If you're under that roof, you can do anything you want. Apparently. She was accused of improperly masking political spending during her freshman 2018 campaign. So AOC has a, she's been a vocal critic of untraceable money in politics. I find that kind of ironic, right? Yeah. And the scandal provoked an uproar from conservative media organizations. This sounds vaguely familiar of what just happened here. Right. The Conservative National League and Policy Center argued in her 2018 complaint to the Federal Election Commission. So this has gone up, you know, up to the top kind of, so to speak. That uh, Ocasio-Cortez and her allies, get this, orchestrated an extensive off-the-books operation. Uh, Okay. Maybe she was serving extra cocktails before she was... Yeah, she was a cocktail waitress, right? <laughs> uh, bottom line is that there was a investigation requested and they were charging that the political groups tied to AOC and her advisors improperly obscured how money was raised and was spent. 
they spun that and put it right back on the advisors. So you're of, right. Of she's going to get scot-free. Yeah. I wonder why she wasn't wearing ripped jeans anymore. <laughs> Her wardrobe got really <laughs> pretty sharp. Huh? I won't, I won't, yeah. I won't say tasteful, but you know, it was, it was better than normal. Professional. <laughs> I guess so. But uh, she's not the only one in there lately. Uh, Hunter Cracky Biden. Yeah. Boy, he's made headlines. Oh yeah, he has. This is what happens when you uh, drop your computer off at the repair shop and never pick it up again. Right. So the Justice Department finds his computer, right? Right. They subpoena it. The accusation has been flying for a, a while now. A couple of years. Yeah. And that's that uh, he had ties, you know, through Ukraine into China. Well, the investigation into Hunter Biden's business activity has gained steam. And there's been a flurry of witnesses providing testimony to federal investigators and more interviews are expected to come in the next few weeks. I think law enforcement is getting pretty close to filing charges. And the latest that came out of this computer was alleged some child porn. Oh, geez. Yeah. All kinds of lascivious things at night, you know, when you're sitting around. Right. There are talks about funneling money to the big guy uh-huh. and uh, the big guy being Sniffy Joe. But he denies all of it. Of course, it didn't happen. <laughs> nope. The big capper is that this whole money trail leads to China. And China's energy industry, right, which is tied into Xi Jinping, right, the the big president. So I, I guess we're going to see what happens. The old cracky. I mean, initially they're focusing kind of on his tax issues and that he hasn't paid taxes and money transfers related to his business dealings in China. China. Yeah. So we'll see where this goes. But uh, some records show that more than four hundred fifty thousand dollars in state liens in Washington, D.C. just were magically lifted in 2020, indicating that yeah, possibly those liabilities were likely paid off. By whom? We don't know. <laughs> but this is going to get interesting. Oh, yeah, it is. So all the antics, and, and you know that uh, Sniffy has just kind of washed his hands of the whole thing, and just his statements have been, oh, well, you know, Hunter's, Hunter didn't do anything wrong. It's, it's, it's done. Well, and he says, I had nothing to do with it either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's your genes, dude. <laughs> you had everything to do with it. Exactly. <laughs> I think it's just the politics these days. That's why I, I can't take sides on all this stuff. Right. I mean, this is just insane. I'm, I'm not even looking forward to the, the national elections. It's going to get ugly, I think. Well, one thing that uh, came out with uh, Cracky as well is that he's got a house that he rents in Malibu, California for $20,000 a month, right? Okay. Well, because he's the child of the president, he gets Secret Service protection. They are renting the estate next door at a tune of $30,000 a month to the taxpayers. Oh my God. That ought to piss you off. That does piss me off. <laughs> 30 grand. No way. Wow. That's every month. That's that's obscene. Obviously, it's a big estate. And if you've ever been to Malibu, California, that's super uber rich homes and people who live there. Right. 30 grand a month. Hey, let's raise our taxes. Can we get a refund? <laughs> Good Lord. But anyway, as if that's not bad enough, just what we need. The only fat guy in North Korea, he's at it again. Yeah. And this time his scrawny little sister on his behalf is trolling South Korea. So fat man Kim Jong-un tested and launched an ICBM last week. And of course, South Korea, they reacted to it as, as they should. Right. It seems like since Joe's been in office and the Donald really didn't do too much either other than he didn't seal the deal. Right. And uh, in Hermitville, North Korea, you know, they're going to do whatever the hell they want to do. Exactly. I mean, they don't care. <laughs> 
I don't even know how many nuclear agreements he's violated. Uh, Kim Jong-un has violated the moratoriums on the testing of nuclear weapons from, I think that was like four years ago, they're supposed to seal the deal. Mm -hmm. But, you know, North Korea opposes war, but if South Korea chooses military confrontation or makes a preemptive strike, then North Korea's nuclear forces will attack. That came from uh, little sister Kim Jong-un. Yeah, she's a she's a horrible little person. Right. You ever seen her pictures? <laughs> I have. Yeah. Looks like somebody stole candy from her. <laughs> she just looks pissed off. Yeah, she's got this scally little RBF. face. RBF. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, here's what she said. This is even better. The senseless and scum-like guy dare mention a preemptive strike at a nuclear weapons state. And she said, South Korea may face a serious threat owing to the reckless remarks South Korea should discipline itself if it wants to stave off disaster. Uh, big words coming from uh, little Oon. Yeah, sure enough. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's always the little guy who wants to rattle sabers, but yeah, they've got the backing of China. Uh, right. <laughs> they, they don't care. True. But uh, I think what's going to happen is uh, she may be the successor to the little fat man when he goes, because it's been reported that allegedly he's in poor health and all this other kind of stuff, but... All that kind of stuff going on. But uh, anyway, enough of this nonsense because it's my favorite time. It's that time again. It is. It's story time with Michelle. <laughs> so uh, what's the story this week? So I figured since we're kind of focusing on Cripple Creek, but we've got uh, Zach coming in, kind of promoting uh, the Butte Theater and things like that. One of the biggest questions I think we get at the Heritage Center is, how did Cripple Creek get its name? Yeah, I've heard all kinds of different stories. There are all sorts of different stories out there. <laughs> but if I know you, you probably went to the source. I did. <laughs> See? So originally the story that was given around was uh, from Marshall Sprague. He's a well-known author, and he wrote the book Money Mountain in the 50s. And he came up with the one with the cow, the calf. Okay. Yeah, see, that's, that's the one that I heard a lot. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's the one that, that goes around most. However, uh, during one of my stints of doing research, I landed in a 19, excuse me, an 1899 newspaper and um, a gentleman interviewed uh, somebody that was actually on the Welty Ranch, which was originally Cripple Creek was the Welty Ranch. And so this is the story that he told the uh, gentleman uh, from the newspaper. So um, it tells the story of a series of events on the ranch owned by the Welty family, original owners of the grazing land that would soon become a booming gold mining town. The story goes like this. While the house was in construction and almost completed, George Welty was hoisting a bale of shingles to the roof. When it was almost on the roof, the scaffold gave way and Mr. Welty was thrown violently to the ground. It so happened that the family dog was lying on the particular spot where Mr. Welty chose to fall, and upon the faithful collie, he came down with all his 180 pounds. Mr. Welty was hurt somewhat, and the poor dog a good deal worse, and both went hobbling around like a pair of old rheumatics for many days after. Then, to make the camp all the more like a hospital, Ben Roberts, one of the employees, started to take a haunch of bear meat down to Florissant. He chose to carry the meat behind the saddle on his Bronco, but the Bronco did not choose to have it there. They made their start, the pony bucking almost every step. This bucking did not do good, and she turned in a back somersault and smashed her rider's leg on a rock. Oh. Yeah. 
No bueno. No bueno. <laughs> she did this with entire satisfaction and started back for the camp. Ben lay helpless but not silent. He turned loose the big revolver, which was in those days was every man's companion, and the sound of the shots together with his lusty yells soon called the attention of the other boys. Nursing a broken leg, Ben was carted back to the house and added to the list of cripples. In honor of such a large number of disabled on the ranch, the place was called Ripple Creek. No way. Way. That's a better story than the cow. I think so. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so I got to ask you, what are you, are these papers out there? I mean, you can look them up. Obviously you found them. So unfortunately, Cripple Creek's uh, papers are not digitized as far as being a available online, but you can go to some libraries. Uh, Cripple Creek Library has them on microfiche, and then the Carnegie Library down in Colorado Springs has them on microfiche as well. The, the fact that they're still microfiche around is is amazing to me. <laughs> I, I had to learn how to use a microfiche machine. <laughs> yeah, you have to spin the little little wheel around, you're just like, oh, I passed it. That's true. <laughs> wow. So I'm, I'm really advocating to get all these things digitized eventually, so hopefully we can get that done before I retire. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Who knows? So, yeah, if you ever want to do some really good research, that's the best. That's the best. You can also sign up for some other newspaper archives online. Right. But they're not directly Cripple Creek. There are other places that have reported on Cripple Creek. So. In, in a way, it's kind of cool because you have to uh, actually go there and dig. Yeah. Yeah, you know, for the microfiche. And, and basically, I mean, it's just, uh, it's everything's on film, which is, I would think you want to digitize it because it gets bad after a while. Yeah, it's going to deteriorate. Yeah, it'll start to, it'll start to crack and, yeah. and uh, you won't have any more. So yeah, it's a big project. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'll reach out to the Colorado State Library again. Yeah. Get those people on there. Absolutely. Get on it. <laughs> Maybe we can put it for a vote. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Yeah, no. I mean, everything's been canceled in Cripple Creek already, so it's like... Right? <laughs> uh. Well, as usual, Michelle, you knocked out of the ballpark again. Thank you for letting me share that. Yeah, awesome story. Well, when we come back, we'll be talking to Zach Stanyo, the Butte Theater Manager in Cripple Creek. And uh, yeah, we need to bring a little culture into the bear cave here. So. For sure. So stick around. You don't want to miss this. You know, moving can be stressful. I know. I've moved 13 times in 20 years and have lived in four different states. When it finally came time to move back to Colorado, Woodland Park and Teller County were our target locations. But before I moved back home, I was looking for a real estate broker who understood and had experience with military families and knew the area well. I found Abode Real Estate and Joshua Dorsey. I called Josh right away and it only took 35 days to not only find our forever home, but to close and move into it. Josh understood exactly what we were looking for because he's a common sense person and knows a good deal from a bad one. He'll make every effort to make sure you get the home that you absolutely want and love. As your real estate advisor, Josh will focus on client satisfaction. His business is about service and he's not happy until you're happy. Whether it's finding you a home, finding the best loan, or helping you get the most out of selling your home, Josh is there to guide you. So if you're considering a real estate professional, give Josh a call today at 719-433-4773 or email him at joshua at csabode.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A at C-S-A-B-O-D-E.com. I'm confident that you will be completely satisfied.
back to the Bear Cave with Dennis and Michelle. And right now, visiting the Bear Cave is Zach Stanio, the new Butte Theater Manager. Zach, welcome to the Bear Cave. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, be- before we get too much into it, uh, kind of give us a background. And because, uh, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a television film guy, so I, I know about his. I don't know, nothing about theater, kind of, so to speak, I'll, you know, being in plays in college and that kind of stuff. But uh, anyway, what's uh, what's your background there, Zach? Uh, well, I grew up in Detroit. Uh, I've been active in acting you know, my whole life, uh, you know, doing plays in grade school and then got shipped off to military school in Indiana. Um, acting kind of died down a little bit there. I was dealing with... Like, Wait a minute, go back to the mil- military academy in Indiana? <laughs> I did. I got shipped off to uh, Culver Military Academy. In, Who'd you piss off? I, I, apparently my mom. I don't, you know, she uh, <laughs> she keeps saying she wanted structure in my life and uh, she definitely, she's uh, she's all or nothing. So it's not like a little bit of structure. It's yeah, what's either, wrong with Boy Scouts or something? You know? Yeah, well, we tried Boy Scouts. Uh, but turns out when you have a, a very busy mother, you don't make it to a lot of like the meetings and things like that. And yeah, like not so much. Big. So military academy. Military academy in Indiana for uh, three years, and then uh, went to Michigan State University. So go green. Uh, minored in theater over there. I studied political science, which was uh, sounded. It looked good when I checked it, and it's just it's a degree in BSing. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I have I say I have a degree in BSing and a minor to pull it off. Well, there's a lot of that up here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and then. Um, I took a job at a trucking company in Detroit and was working there for about a year and a half. And I looked over at one of my uh, guys I was working with in dispatch and he was like, what do you really want to do? And I was like, man, I really want to like, I really want to give this acting thing a shot. And he's like, then go do it. He goes, I sat down here to be a chef. You know, I was going to work a year and be a chef. And I look up and it's like 26 years and I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And that just scared the crap out of me. So moved out to Los Angeles, uh, pursued a career in acting, did a uh, conservatory out there for two years, had a phenomenal time, uh, you know, really trying to do the independent route. There's, there wasn't really like a set path and like, this is how you become an actor in LA. Everyone whose grandmother ever said they were you know, handsome makes their way out there. <laughs> oh, I, I can relate to that. It's for, for me, back in the day, it was all about the 9 billion auditions that you go to. And if you get one, oh, five, man. five lines and under, you're good. Oh, yeah. You get that callback. It feels so good. And then you get into the room. And there's like 15 other people that look just like you. You're like, oh, man. Then they crush you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I benefited a lot from uh, from the independent route. I uh, just did some student films um, and then actually had the opportunity to come out here um, kind of halfway through living in LA to shoot an independent film up in Victor and Cripple Creek, which is where I first, I guess, fell in love with Cripple Creek. Um, yeah. and that whole area, just be, I mean, just being in Colorado. Was that Rook? It was Rook. Yeah. Have yeah. you seen it? Yeah. All right. All right. Right on. Well, I apologize for the cursing, but, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> oh, it doesn't offend me. I thought it was pretty mild. You know? Nice. Okay. Yeah. But then again, I worked in the porn industry for like 40 years. No so. way. You're right. No way. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a whole, that's a whole other bag of worms. I yeah. Can you open. imagine that? It's like, I'm doing a podcast. Hey, there's a former porn producer that's in Woodland Park. Let's <laughs> right. do a podcast for the community. Oh man. Yeah. That would not go over well here. You hear the ammo getting slammed into the rifles yeah. and, and fire extinguishers everywhere from the fire bombs coming to my house. And it's like, but anyway, I, I digress as usual. So yeah, this is where, you know, I first fell in love with Colorado. Uh, my 
wife's uh, girlfriend at the time, my wife's family was uh, living in Lake George. So we ended up spending about uh, eight months in Lake George. Oh, wow. I can think of worse places to spend my time. Oh, man. It was amazing. I mean, the only thing with Lake George was I like go about two weeks and I'd be like, I got to drive down to Woodland Park like the, and just see people. Like, yeah, I got to go to the big city. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Like there's, <laughs> you know, you blink and you're through Lake George. <laughs> so, uh yeah, I don't know. I, my uh, my wife and I were just always talking about, like, we've got to find a way back to Colorado. We're praying about it. And pandemic hit L.A. and I was not trying to be stuck in Los Feliz right by the L.A. River. I can relate to that. Yeah. So we packed up, like, what we thought would be for a month and hit the road. It ended up in Fairplay, actually. Wow. South Park. Oh, yeah. And then it locked down for, like, three months and we were stuck in Fairplay. And not a bad place to be stuck. That um, could be a screenplay. Oh, man. It, it should be. It should. I mean. Stuck in Fairplay. Oh, yeah. And there was no... Uh, I don't know. We, you know, we bought into the fear and everything for a little bit and we ended up in Arkansas. Her family moved to Arkansas. So that's why we ended up there. We just didn't be like, ah, let's go to Arkansas. Um, yeah. And then we were, did a little road trip up to, uh, Yellowstone and then ended up having to go back to Michigan for a funeral and then ended up just staying in Michigan for about three months and then down to Florida. So it was like my whole pandemic. I think I put like 40,000 miles on my truck during the pandemic and never once got sick, you know, just taking my vitamins, just, you know, doing the social distance thing, you know, and then we ended up in Detroit. I got a job working for a manufacturing company out there. Uh, workplace morale ambassador. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So just that guy. Oh yeah. Really just trying to, you know, trying to get some cohesiveness throughout the company. I had about 17 locations throughout the Midwest. Well, long story short is how did you wind up in Cripple Creek and becoming the manager of the Butte Theater? So I was, like I said, I was working in, uh, I was working in the South Side, uh, doing this job that it was a lot of fun. It's just, you know, doing manufacturing in the audio industry is just grueling and you're constantly stressed out. Like there's heart attacks left and right. Um, so my wife and I actually- <laughs> I'll stay here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do not, do not, I would not, I would not wish that on anyone. Um, my wife and I actually got married in Lake George in July, on July 4th of last year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, during that time we were, you know, got up here about a week early and her mother was actually in Cripple Creek and was talking to Mel and he's like, Hey, I'm getting ready to retire. And I even think Mel remembered me and was like, Hey, I think Zach would be really good for this job. This sounds crazy. This is like kind of like a gift from God. So I applied like back in November and didn't hear anything. So I was like, ah, obviously they probably went with someone else with maybe a little more uh, theater background. Were you in any productions up there at all? I was. I was in the uh, Rocky Horror up there in Oh, nice. Oh, that was a rough one. That was a, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had not done a musical since like college. Um, Did you have to sing uh, Sweet Transvestite? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So luckily I was one of the background like <laughs> phantoms. Uh, My man. Yeah. Oh, man. He he nailed that part. It's a classic. It's a, cl it's a classic. And I think it, it could have been a lot of fun. It could have been a lot of fun for the community. I think that uh, the intentions going into it with uh, the director and some of the producers was like, we're going to shock this city and, you know, turn it on its head. Yeah, good luck with that one. You know, art art and theater and film and that is, is like meant to hold up a mirror to society, not like try to alter your views, you know. Those must have been the people that were thumbing on the way out of uh, 
the highway. I, I saw a bunch of people with bags. Just yeah, they <laughs> they did not last long. I think that uh, theater company was only there for about two years, um, and then they, they ended up going back to uh, the professional company we use now. But yeah, so I applied in November and then didn't hear anything. So I was like, ah, I'm stuck in the auto industry. And then uh, I was down in Texas in January, um, just doing kind of like a force fast. Now you got some kind of gypsy lifestyle going on right here. So this was like one of the reasons during the interviews, they were like, uh, you're kind of all over the place. Like, we need somebody <laughs> with stability. And I was like, man, I really like, I would love to put down roots, but I did the whole uh, transient actor lifestyle in LA, yeah. you know, bouncing around from trying to chase rent prices, which that, is- that, that very bohemian type of lifestyle. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, we were down in, uh, Texas for like a forced fast, kind of just, you know, clean the body out. My wife and I were kind of daydreaming about where we saw ourselves in five years. And as literally, as soon as we end this little like daydream, I get a call from Cripple Creek. I'm like, Oh, this is strange. And they're like, Hey, are you still interested in this job? Like, heck yeah, I'm interested. Like it's, you know, definitely in my wheelhouse. It's, it sounds way more fun than automotive. I don't have the chance of really like getting shot maybe. Um, <laughs> Well, you never know up here. You don't, you don't. So, uh, so yeah, I started the interview process and then uh, I found out, I think, uh, the second week of February and started the process of looking for a home. And that was, you know, that's this whole adult life thing and like making these big decisions, man. I'm not, I know, right? that's what, that's what I liked about the transient <laughs> lifestyle. It's like, I don't need to worry about a mortgage. I just got to figure out how to pay rent. Yeah. I got a tent and an air mattress. Oh, which my wife, thank God. So I met her in LA and I was so scared. Like, oh, it's in LA, like bougie, you know, and she was, you know, from Arkansas, Colorado, you know, military family. So they moved around a lot and she was very like not LA. Was she in the business as well? She was. She's, uh, she actually in uh, Rook, she plays my sister. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. We were dating before that. So it wasn't like a on-screen romance. It was, had some weird like Oedipus complex. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's Oedipus. I'm trying to sound smarter than I am. I apologize. Okay, so haters, no incest, so. You're right. <laughs> none, none at all, no. It's only a movie. Sp <laughs> Toby Maguire is not really Spider-Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's not? <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, well, the, who knows now? There's like six of them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so we uh, found a house right in Cripple Creek. Closed on March 4th, started the job on March 7th, and uh, just I've been drinking through a fire hose ever since. That's a good way to put it. It, it I mean, it's so much information because I, you know, they were telling me like, it's, you know, it's kind of a one man show. It really is. Yeah. Like I've got, you know, my theater assistant, Mike Green, and thank God for him or else I right. would be, you know, it'd just be Mel and I and he takes off May 9th. It's, it's just been, it's, it's been a really fun process. It's been a, uh, it's been a challenging process to kind of see, you know, how much of a one man show it actually is. Like, it's not, you know, there's no team behind you. There's no, you know, you got to deal with the they're the professional theater company. So I'm, you know, interested to see how that dynamic plays out. And, uh, so how does that work? I mean, you, you run the theater itself, correct? And then you have production companies that come in and put on their plays. Is that how that works? Yeah. So we have during the January through May season is technically the community season. So I am working in conjunction with the nonprofit Friends of the Butte. And they're, you know, they're right in the middle of rehearsals for Blythe Spirit right now. So that opens uh, April 29th. I think they've got about eight shows. So that's, that's really coming together. And then in... I think the professional actors get here in May. Professional season run by Thin Air Theater Company starts June 24th, and that runs all the way till December 31st. Now, how'd you guys go to meet? 
Um, well, you probably don't remember. I actually met you at the showing of Rook. At the I Butte do remember. Theater. Yeah, no, yeah. I actually do remember. <laughs> so that's the first time I met him um, because Steve Kitzman was the producer of, of that show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Steve. Uh, I do, too. I mean, Kitz is like. The man. He He's is. He's the man. He if is. I could grow a beard like his, I'd like I'd be I'd be in heaven. I just mine grows in all like rednecky and patchy and like look like I have alopecia on my face. But so that's how we originally met was the showing at the Butte of Rook. When I heard your name come up as far as coming in to take over the Butte, I was like, I don't know who that is. And then when I saw you, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I go by my la- I go by Rush for when I when I'm doing like acting and things like that. It's a lot easier to pronounce than rush yeah zach rush <laughs> okay yeah i'm not sure how that works but uh oh well it's like it's a pseudonym you know yeah. it's like my 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 stage name gotcha <laughs> <laughs> it's it also happens to be my mother's last name so it's not like i just picked oh, it out there you go. it was supposed to be my middle name but they couldn't decide between rush or rudolph so they just went with the letter r i'd go with rush i would yeah yeah right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad they went with the r. just saying <laughs> That's so L.A. of you. Yeah. Oh, I know. I know. It's one of the few things I have left over from from living in that cesspool. I think it's really cool. The Butte Theater works with the community the way it does. Uh, And I don't think a lot of people are aware of how that works. Could you talk about that a little bit? You know, you're using community actors. They're local. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, one thing that really um, I don't want to say surprised me because I've only ever seen the professional seasons up here. So, you know, they bring in these people from New York and, you know, Texas and Tennessee and things. Um, but to get in two weeks before they started the auditions for, or a week before they started the auditions for the community show and just to see the turnout from the community, like you have these people that, um, you know, I'm not, and I, I'm terrible with names, but who come out and do this all the time. This is like what they live, you know, they, not to live to do, but they love it. And the Butte is such a beautiful place. It's, I mean, it's a crazy venue. It's, it's been through so much and, to have that kind of uh, opportunity in the community is is really amazing. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I was concerned about before taking this job was like, what, you know, what is our community outrage? Like, what do we do? And, you know, I got up there and, you know, aside from the community season, it's it's not really that much. So that was one of my, the things I had kind of talked about during uh, the interview was like, well, I would love to have, you know, acting classes up there or directing classes or, you know, script writing classes, something for the kids that there's no, nothing right. for them to do. So if, you know, and like one of the big things with the casinos is like, you don't really want families up there because there's nothing for you to take your kids to do. But if you could come and let's say drop them off at a photography class for a few hours or, you know, just really give them some opportunities. You know, I would love to, you know, I was talking with the, uh, the principal two days ago and I was like, I would love to get, you know, a class started where, you know, after school they're, they're learning how to tell a story. They're learning how to shoot a short film. And at the end of the school year, you know, we put on like a little mini film festival or something like that. Like there's so many opportunities available. You know, I love acting. I love telling stories. It's, it's been that way since I've been a kid and, you know, to, provide an opportunity where, you know, a kid can get, you know, bit by the theater bug or bit by the acting bug. And it doesn't have to be just a, you know, something that you whimsically do on the weekends. Like you can turn this into a career and it doesn't have to be like, oh, I want to be the next Brad Pitt. You can make a great career out of lighting. You can make a great career out of set design. There's so many opportunities within this genre, within this, you know, little subset of America. The Butte it is home to the classic melodrama. And the classic melodrama, you know, uh, as Mel puts it, is the, the Shakespeare of the West. Really right. like a genre that was kind of like honed here in America. 
See, I, I grew up around the Diamond Bell Theater down in Durango. Okay. okay, yeah. So, yeah, this is like one of the last four places on, in the U.S. that you can come and see the classic melodrama in all, all its glory, you know, with the uh, the villain and, and the temptress. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, like, kind of over-sensationalized story or kind of plot and maybe some of the characters, but it, it speaks to very real scenarios. So, you know, you have... And, and melodrama, I think it... it it's been bastardized in, in the word has in a way. So when you say melodrama, people are like, oh, you're being overly dramatic. And classic right. melodrama has everything to do with the music and everything, you know, it kind of cues the audience on how you feel. You know, I always think of that, um, that scene from Tombstone when they're in the theater and she's up on the stage and they're yelling back at her. Oh, boo. Like that's classic melodrama. Like, like you're booing the villain and, and you're cheering exactly. for the hero. And, uh, like just to be in an environment where that is cool. Like if you, if you shout out in on Broadway, like they will kick you out of the theater. Yeah. Except, except without the guns. I, you, you know, I looked into out. it, man. And just, you know, the building's old. We can't be shooting holes in the ceiling and stuff. Like, you know, it's just, I wanted to, and they were like, nah, you know, come on. I got to ask you a question. It's like, when you walk in there, what kind of goes through your mind? You kind of think about the history and what this place was back in the day. And I mean, that's, kind of a huge responsibility it is it is it's it's you know preserving classic melodrama is definitely a huge responsibility and making sure it's done in a way that you know that does preserve it um is certainly something that's on the forefront of my mind you know working with mel i i gained a lot of knowledge about the theater in a very short amount of time so it was you know classic melodrama in cripple creek was started by the mackins in the 1940s and it was at the imperial hotel in the gold bar room and then you know, they did it, I think, all up until the mid-90s, and then their son and daughter-in-law took it over. Like, so the Butte, the Butte had a long history. It was like the bar room in the, like, 1890s. It was like a bar and dance hall, and then it became a dance academy. It went into, like, a bunch of different iterations. Like, it was a furniture store, and then it was a cat, like, a weapons cache for a while, and then an auto garage, and then it just kind of fell into disarray. And then in 19, I think it was 1999, is when they kind of dusted it off and were like, oh my gosh, like what do we, you know, it was an ice rink at one time. Yeah. Really? I don't know how it was an ice rink, but it was definitely an ice rink. You know, they started this revitalization project back in uh, 99 and then the Butte opened up in all its glory in 2000. And I mean, you walk in there and it's, it is like walking back in time. It's definitely not lost on me. It's, you know, when you walk into the building and then you hear the stories from Mel and everyone like, oh, it's haunted. You're going to, you're going to see a ghost. Yeah. You know about it that, for sure. Uh, what are we going to be looking forward to, uh, say, this spring and the summer? Blythe Spirit, which is the community show. It's a uh, it's, it's a funny show about a uh, writer who starts doing these seances to like channel the dead so he can write better and ends up channeling his, one of his uh, dead wives. Yeah, it's a oh, classic. Yeah. Okay, so you know. And uh, oh, yeah. so that that's the community show that opens uh, April 29th and that runs first week or the end of April and then the first weekend in May. I think there was a feature film was. back in the, uh, I want to say the... 40s, maybe 50s. Yeah. So we, uh, so they've got that going on. And then when that ends, the professionals, professional season um, gets, or professional company gets here. And then they open with From Rags to Riches. Uh, that's the classic melodrama um, that opens June 24th and runs till July 16th. And then Nonsense, which I'm sure you've seen or heard. It's yeah. A big one. So that's a musical coming in after that. And then um, kind of amazing because Nonsense isn't really a, 
classic melodrama type of production. No, so majority of our like uh, funding for the Butte and all that comes from the historic preservation. So we have, you know, we have an obligation to, you know, put on the classic melodrama, but we're not pigeonholed into just doing that. Right. You know, they do have the ability to put on shows like Nonsense and Young Frankenstein. That's great. So, you know, I would like to see some, a little more of like, you know, maybe some, I don't know if we can do Shakespeare up here yet, but like some Shakespeare in the mountains. I was thinking kind of like hair. Hair, yeah. Okay, maybe Cats. Not. No, I don't think we can get away with that. Um, How much do you really want to stay in this area is the question. Well, so right? I, luckily I learned my lesson from Rocky Horror. Is it being done in the right way? I think, like I said before, Rocky could have been done in, an, in a way that was fun. Like it is, you know, you go to the old cemeteries in LA to watch it and stuff like that. But what people don't realize is that I, I learned this in television early on. It's like there's community standards and you kind of gear your programming towards Amen. that. So, yeah, you can't necessarily, I was kidding, but you can't bring hair into like Teller County, right? I mean, it's just, it ain't, it ain't yeah, going to work. Yeah, there's something, you know, you have to know your audience. And I think that, you know, Rocky. That, that was, that was a was rough, a rough go. go. It, it was, was a rough, rough. I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to, I don't want to speak ill about people or anything. I just, you know, you got to know, you have to know your audience. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see, to see the shows this year and uh, kind of see what they, what they have on the docket for next. Well, anyway, uh, Zach, we're just going to kind of wrap this up here. Uh, hey, thanks for coming in. We really appreciate you coming all the way down and coming into the bear cave. And uh, yeah, I'm going to take a, uh, I'm going to take up that gauntlet. I'm going to go see some shows and I'll come by. Please and see do, please do. And week, I, I'll week. hook it up. It's especially if you, uh, if you want to give a couple of reviews to the shows and just, you know, let them know your honest opinion of it. But uh, I really, really appreciate y'all having me. Absolutely. We wanted to get, get the Butte on the map on, you know, it's like I said, it's so underappreciated. So I'm so looking forward to this I know, season. I know. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to having you there. Hope you know, I, I know we won't let you down and, uh, you know, just with where we're headed. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're on board. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, when we come back, we'll be talking to our field producer, Trevor Phipps, news of the weird and find out who gets tossed on the bear pile this week. So don't go away. By making gradual changes in your life, you can achieve your goals. Perhaps it's a change in your diet, losing a few pounds, or reducing stress in your life. You can always improve your health. Animus Wellbeing practitioners in Woodland Park believe that beauty radiates from within because being healthy is beautiful. No matter what your age, they can help you improve and enjoy a better quality of life. If you want to explore ideas on how to achieve a more mindful and healthier way of life, you've come to the right place. They currently offer nutritional consultations, personal cooking classes, catering, and even guided meditation sessions for both group and individuals. Let them help you achieve a life of optimal well-being. Check them out at Animus Wellbeing. That's A-N-I- M-A-S-W-E-L-L-B-E-I-N-G dot com. Welcome back to the Bear Cave on Spotify, anchored by Spotify and Podbean. And on the Bear Cave hotline right now is our field producer, man about town, Trevor Phipps. Trevor, welcome back from your hot springs adventure. Yeah. Nice to leave, but it's nice to be back. We missed you. We were we were cursing you though. You know, <laughs> under our under our breath is like, hey, how come we're not with him? Why does he get to go up there? <laughs> Because uh, we were talking to candidates, but uh, man, oh man, what an election outcome, right? 
Yeah, it wasn't as close as I thought it would be. Yeah, I think you and I, you know, you and I have discussed this a lot in the past few days, and we kind of had our speculations. And uh, I think the thing that Trevor and I were talking about a lot was that uh, Frank Connors was kind of the, uh, he was kind of the wild card in a way. Man, you were right, man. He uh, he did it. Yeah, but he ended up only getting fourth, so he only got the two-year term. Right. So he didn't get as many votes as I thought he might. Well, Trevor, why don't you kind of lay it out for us? Uh, give us the uh, post-mortem. All right. Well, basically for the mayor candidate race, Hillary won by quite a bit. She got 1,660 votes versus Robert Zuluaga, 802. So she got more than twice as many votes for mayors. He did. And then for council, uh, Catherine Nakai actually got the most votes with 1,794. And then Kelly Case was, I guess, the next with 1,684. And then David Ott, 1,675. And then Frank Connors, 1,273. Um, and then the three that didn't make a seat on the council is Don Dezellum got 948 votes. Deanne Betterman got 947 votes. And Matt Hayes got 915 votes. Hillary Labar wins mayor for the next two years. Catherine Nakai, Kelly Case, David Ott will be council members for the next four years. And then Frank Connors got the two-year term on council. Now, the, the thing that strikes me the most is that Zulu Bob got the least amount of votes of anyone. Yeah. So uh, I think he got like, what, 805 votes? Is that what you said? 802. So just goes to show you that uh, if you have a game plan to stick with it and uh, all the negativity that was flying back and forth on either side, today things are kind of oddly silent, I noticed. I mean, there's a little bit of smack talk coming back and forth, but uh, you know what? It's going to be interesting to see what happens because uh, with the amendments that were passed too, you know, there could be some shenanigans that happens with the city council, but uh, you know, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt and see how things are going to work out. And since you mentioned that all three of the amendments passed, Question one had to do with saying that uh, elected and appointed officials can be removed from office for misconduct. That passed 1,383 votes yes and 1,030 votes no. And uh, question two, shall the city charter be amended to repeal and replace the current general conflict of interest provisions with more detailed and comprehensive conflict of interest provision? Yes was 1696, no is 689, so that passed. And then third question, shall the city charter be amended to clarify the options for city council and filling a vacancy on city council? That passed, yes, 1691, no, 711. You know, it's kind of amazing to see the disparaging difference between the votes. I, I don't know. What, why do you think that uh, people voted the way they did? And, and by the way, this is the, the biggest amount of voters in quite some time, right? They didn't really say, but they the city did come out and say that it's been the most in recent history. So probably for the last 20 years or so, there is... Um, 50% of the registered voters in Woodland Park turned in their ballots this time, the total of 2,503 wow. ballots what? that were cast. So. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that it was such a big difference in in, uh, in voting? Because it was really two to one in Hillary's favor, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I think a lot of people kind of came out there, including the Woodland Park Chamber of Commerce, saying that this was one of the most important elections Woodland Park has seen in a long time. And um, I think the reason for that is, for one, there is an extra seat available. So that kind of puts it in a situation where the majority could have gone either way. and 
with that extra seat that's up, it kind of creates a different situation than normal because normally there's there's still four seats available, but then it only takes four to get the majority. So if you have five seats that were up in this case, then it's easier to get people who think alike to grab the majority. And then I think the other thing was just the issues that are starting to come up for the city. I mean, we've got the Karis Bible College that is doing a big expansion. Um, that was a big issue that came up. Was is the opportune word because that, uh, that PUD is uh, pretty much dead on arrival. The, uh, the changes in that, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I really haven't heard what the new council members think about that. Well, you've got to think that because uh, there was a lot of negativity on both sides. And I think that uh, some of the posts that, that I saw and, and the vetted stuff definitely had a, I don't know, it swayed some voters, shall we say. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. But the other thing I thought was really interesting is that there was such a low percentage of ballots that were turned in until the last minute. They made the adult decision. They did their homework. They were educated voters. And uh, the end result kind of shows that, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just the fact that more people came out, I think more people were involved. And then when you get out there and vote, I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt that they do at least do some sort of research and know who they're voting for and what they're voting for. Well, I think that was definitely the fact, because like I said, we, we pushed it a lot. And I know there were other people in, in town that, that did the same thing. But uh, yeah, it was a wide and interesting election for sure. How about you, Michelle? I mean, because you were you're probably one of the only people that can vote in the Bear Cave. I was paying very close attention. And um, it was great that I had the opportunity to be to meet these folks, you know, one-on-one, that made a huge difference to me. So, um, like I said, it sounds like people did educate themselves this time around. So, yay, now we can move forward with city business and get stuff done, hopefully. Yeah. The only thing left now is the county elections coming up in November. And we're actually going to have uh, Carol Kittleson on on the uh, third week of this month. But uh, anyway, kind of moving on, there's uh, there's some things that are changing within the Woodland Park School Board, right? Well, possibly. Nothing's really happened yet, but um, it came out a couple of weeks ago. And actually, I think how most people found out about it was there was a news station from Alaska that posted on the internet that Dr. Matthew Neal, our current Woodland Park School District Superintendent, is one of three finalists to become the superintendent of the Anchorage, Alaska School District. I haven't talked to Dr. Neal, but I talked to the school board president, David Rusherholtz, and he basically said it is how it came about was when Dr. Neal was on uh, Fox and Friends National News station about kind of some changes that he made in the school district. I guess his phone started blowing up with districts all across the country wanting more of a conservative superintendent because they now have more conservative boards. And I guess he said no to quite a few of them until Anchorage, Alaska came on and got a hold of him. And I guess he's always wanted to live in Alaska. And it is it's a much bigger of a district, bigger job. For example, Anchorage, the it's the biggest school district in the state of Alaska. It's got 40,000 students and 6,000 staff members. So you compare that to Woodland Park. Woodland Park now has 1,800 students and about 300 staff members. So um, I think it'd be a lot better of a job for him. From my understanding, I think last week he had, he had to go to some town hall meetings up there and they were actually having all the superintendent finalists go up in a town hall and have the citizens ask them questions and stuff. I, I wonder if Sarah Palin gave him a call. Yeah. You know, she's, <laughs> you know, the news came out that she's uh, doing research to see if she's going to run for Congress. It's like, oh God, save well, us all. a town hall and they could have done that. And I'm, I think that's kind of cool because I've never heard about them doing a town hall in Woodland Park to choose their superintendent. It usually just gets decided by the board. If he does, in fact, take that position, which I can't imagine that he wouldn't, how do you think that's going to 
impact the current school board? I doubt it'll impact it that much. They'll just have to find another superintendent. And that way, they'll probably be able to pick and choose person they know that's going to listen to them verbatim. So it might be a big deal for the people that are opposing some of the things that they're doing. I've never seen a school board election with that kind of money that's been thrown into it and, you know, kind of a lot of weight of people behind it. And and again, it it all kind of goes back to the election we just went through with the uh, mayor and city council. You know, there's a lot of outside influences coming in to try and and make a difference and impact the candidates. And, um, you know, you win some, you lose some, I guess. But uh, I guess it'll be kind of a wait and see thing. But I, I think that it may still be somewhat divisive because, you know, there's lawsuits that are still flying around and just a lot of unhappy people. I wish everybody could just get it together. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, you did mention there's a lot of money in this election. And actually, to get more specific figures, just in Southern Colorado alone, there is over a million dollars that went into specifically conservative school board candidates. And the, the other interesting part, though, is, too, the there everybody expected a big red wave to come across the state. And really, all your areas of Denver and Boulder and most of northern Colorado, they actually ended up still electing school board members that the teachers union supported and backed. But then you have Douglas County, most of El Paso. Paso County, Keller County, and other places, more rural places that switch to conservative school board. And those are the ones that are having the big controversy. Well, I, I can't say that I'm surprised about uh, kind of outcome up in the Denver and, and uh, you know, the big metropolitan areas. I mean, they're pretty pretty much wokesters up in that that neck of the woods, so to speak. But uh, anyway, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. If he, if he does take the job, then uh, I'm sure the banter will still be flying. Yeah, yeah. And I just, <laughs> I could just imagine whatever superintendent they hire is going to be hated by everybody just because they got <laughs> All right. Maybe, yeah, maybe we can get him on. It's like, hey, dude, you know, everybody hates you, right? <laughs> but I haven't even run yet. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. I noticed you're wearing a tinfoil hat. You're good. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to something more fun, dude. It's baseball season. Baseball is finally here. Yes, I believe so. From what I can gather, the first home game would take place this Saturday in Meadowood Sports Complex. You know, you and I will probably be, be there for sure. You know, hopefully we'll get the show up in time that, that people can go out and support the support the boys. But uh, the boys aren't the only thing that's happening right now. It seems like uh, Woodland Park Panther women's soccer is doing pretty well. Yeah, the, the soccer team has really came out this year and it's looking really good. Um, so far, they're 3-1. and one. The one game they lost was against Falcon, which is known to be a lot better of a soccer program and a really good team. And they only lost by one goal, actually. And the coaches tell me that the goal they lost by was actually kind of a questionable goal. Anyways, so there's one loss, but at least they were still close. They still hung in there. And then the three wins, they've had their first two, Pueblo Central, 10 to nothing. They had to play the Mer- Mercy Rule. Uh, they played Mitchell, and it was 11 to 1, and the Mercy Rule eventually got applied, but I guess they could have mercy them in like 10 minutes, is what the coach said, but the girls were exhibiting good sportsmanship and kind of let them play, and were kind of just using it as practice to get ready for the tougher games, and something funny, the one goal that was scored against them in that game, the the Lady Panthers actually scored on themselves. Oh. The coaches tell me. So they won 11 to 1, but the one score, they they were passing back to their goalie. 
You know, you and I were talking uh, about it, too, and there's been kind of an attitude change with uh, with women's sports, with uh, new coaching staffs coming in, a new uh, way of approaching it. But, you know, it's nice to hear that there's some sportsmanship, and that needs to be learned at the high school level. And for those girls to just say, okay, look, you know, we're going to just play our game, have some respect for the opposing team who was clearly not as good as they were, that says a lot in my book. Yeah, yeah, and they, they just played yesterday, too, and they won seven to nothing. Wow. All right, Trevor, thanks for the update, and I guess we'll be seeing what, what goes on. There's a, a lot of things happening. We got, uh, I think there's a city council meeting on Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, so we'll see where this this new team goes, and just remember, we'll be watching. Yes, we will. All right, Trevor, thanks a bunch, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. All right. You two have a good day. All right. That was our field producer, man about town, Trevor Phipps. Good to have Trevor back. Well, a lot of stuff going on in Woodland Park, that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, What's happening up in Cripple Creek these days? Well, we're still kind of quiet. However, the Victor Lowell Thomas Museum is still open every Saturday from 10 to 5. I went there last Saturday. Yeah, so people need to get up there. If you haven't been since the renovations that just happened a couple years ago, totally different place. So it's, it's really cool to check that out. Um, the District Museum is still closed, but the uh, gift shop is open from 10 to 5 on Saturdays and Sundays. Of course, the Kerber Creek Heritage Center is open seven days a week from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Great place to stop. Uh, get your local maps and information and a little bit of a history lesson. What about that place I can never remember? <laughs> My favorite, the Outlaws and Lawman Geo Museum. So we're still kind of struggling. We're just open on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays right now. But by the end of April, I anticipate we'll be open seven days a week from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You know, people are going to start uh, coming up to Cripple Creek and Victor and just hanging out and doing cool stuff. No, they definitely are, for sure. And I think, you know, we're waiting to see. I don't know if the gas prices are going to affect people taking road trips and things like that. I'm kind of hoping definitely hoping not. I'm hoping that people are ready to get back on the road and and go explore. I was going to ask you, uh, how many European visitors do you get? Because, you know, for example, in Germany and, uh, you know, those kind of countries, they're just all about the West and Western culture and stuff like that. I was kind of wondering how many people from outside of the United States come up every year. We actually have a huge amount. Um, like you said, Europeans, um, Asians, they love the, the Western history yeah. too, you know. So um, again, but look what's going on in the world. So don't know what that's going to look like this year either. All the disruption going on, but they love coming out to Cripple Creek and they, they always have a great time. Hey, do you think if I made a mannequin out of Vladimir Putin and I stuck it in solitary, people would come and take pictures? <laughs> they would. That'd be the selfie hot spot. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, come up to the uh, jail museum and see Vladimir Putin locked up in solitary confinement. (laughs) That's a great idea. (laughs) I might have to work on that one. Right. Well, every now and then I have my moments, you know. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Hey, Vlad, what do you want for lunch? (laughs) Oh, that's right. You don't get any lunch. Well, I I made a commitment, you know, like I said to Zach, I'll come up next week and uh, I got to go. Yeah, I got to go check it out because I haven't seen the improvements yet. You're going to love everything. Maybe I'll just crawl up in one of those hammocks and just take a nap. That's where I'd need to be. (laughs) Jeez. I know, but uh, it's, it's almost game on time, right? We're getting there. Uh, definitely by Memorial Day weekend, that's the huge kickoff. All Everything starts up. So the, the mine tours will start up. The train will start up. All the museums are open. It's full bore. Now, I know if people are looking for something to do during the summer, there are some positions that are open, right? Oh, yeah, always. 
Then may, We're all looking for help. <laughs> and then maybe you don't have to work seven days a week. Right, exactly. So, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm okay to work with. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, speaking of which, if somebody wants to volunteer or they want to put in for a position, do they go to the Cripple Creek City website? How does that all kind of work? Yes, they go to cityofcripplecreek.com and the applications and all the job positions are listed right there. I still want to be the guy running the train. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know the first thing about it. Looks like a great job. I could just uh, kind of hang out and ride back and forth all day long. Heck yeah. Or maybe I'll just set up a corn dog machine. That's probably more my style. Hey, and you'd probably make good money. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right. Nothing like Bear Cave hot dogs. That's right. <laughs> I think we may be onto something. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, I'm just being weird. That's all good. <laughs> and speaking of weird, did you like that transition? I did. It is time for News of the Weird. Yep, we're back to normal again. All right, uh, I promise there's not going to be any black hairy tongue this week. <laughs> you know, we got a lot of comments on that. I'm sure. <laughs> and it was a lot of emojis of you know people throwing up and, and that kind of stuff. Right. It's like, hey, I just uh, I just find them. <laughs> All right, the headlines for this week it reads: Girlfriend bites man for changing the TV channel. There's a love connection for you. <laughs> On Saturday, 21-year-old Abby Nicole Saunders of Lexington, North Carolina, was arrested after she allegedly bit her 29-year-old boyfriend, Brandon... I'm going to say their names. Why not? (laughs) Brandon Cody Nichols McDonald, or McDowell. Yeah, that guy. After he grabbed the TV remote and flipped through the channels without asking her permission. Uh, That's dangerous. Come on. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) I tried attaching a bungee cord onto myself and, you know, my wife has a pair of scissors. (laughs) It ain't working out for you, dude. The incident occurred approximately 3 p.m. Brandon walked into the bedroom while Abby was watching television. Abby was reportedly engrossed in her TV show. Brandon, oh boy, Brandon's a dumbass. (laughs) Brandon grabbed the remote and switched the TV channel. Uh Uh-oh. Abby, infuriated by her boyfriend ruining her TV show, lunged at him, biting him multiple times. It's a good thing she was in Teller County, man. Yeah, no kidding. Turned old Brandon into some Swiss cheese. He, she would. The police were called to the home on the 900 block of Old Highway 109 for domestic disturbance, to say the least. Brandon was found with multiple bite marks, get this, on the side of his neck his right forearm and inside the upper left arm. He also had a red mark on his chest, which was due to him being struck by a hand. Oh, he got over on that one. (laughs) Abby Nicole Saunders was arrested and charged with assault. Oh, boy. (laughs) Never a dull moment. No. Oh, man. It's like, okay, dudes, bottom line is like, if your wife and or significant other, girlfriend, whatever, is watching her favorite show, you should probably go watch porn on the computer or something. I mean, just I say, might as well just back out of the room. Yeah, dude, you, you, you need to go to the liquor store or whatever it is, whatever it takes for you to get out of that situation. But uh, that could be our new line. Don't be a Brandon. Yeah, that's right. Oh, man. Yeah, that guy's going to wind up on the bear pile someday. <laughs> right. And speaking of which, it is time for the bear pile. Each week, we nominate the top subjects, events, and or people who should be tossed in the bear pile and eaten by the bears. The person, place, and or thing thrown in the bear pile to be eaten by the bears this week is... 
Uh, this one is no surprise. Will Smith for bitch-slapping Chris Rock in front of the entire world. Uh, nice assault there, Fresh Prince. I know. The memes that are coming out from that whole incident. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. They just keep going. Well, you know, he did resign from the Academy of Motion Pictures and Sciences, better known as the Oscars, probably so he could keep his little statue. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, you better hide it. Jada may want to use it against him someday. <laughs> All right, the nominations this week are Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, good old AOC, for not reporting the hijacked campaign funds to the appropriate authorities. Like I say, no more ripped jeans for AOC. Right. All that fancy dress that she has. Number two, Hunter Cracky Biden for leaving his computer at the repair shop, smoking a bowl of crack and forgetting to pick it up. Now, uh, now the evidence is out there. Too much evidence against you there, Cracky. <laughs> And number three, Kim Yo-Jung for trolling a free nation with threats of nuclear war while feeding the little fat man tons of chocolate truffles. I think she's trying to kill him so she can take control of Hermitville. Pretty sure. Exactly. Yeah, why not? Well, that's it for us this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any suggestions on how we can improve the show, keep it to yourself. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Abode Real Estate and Animus Wellbeing, and special thanks to our guest today, Zach Stanyo, and of course, to our field producer, Man About Town, Trevor Phipps. As always, if you have an event coming up or you want to become a sponsor of the show, hit us up on our Facebook page, This Week in the Bear Cave, or our Instagram page by the same name. You can access the show and listen to us through Spotify, Podbeam. Keep in mind, we're going to be making that move to uh, Apple Podcasts here very soon. And your hate mail can be sent to thisweekinthebearcave at gmail.com. Our guest next week is the man, the crack man, the cracky man himself, Hunter Biden. We want to know if he wants to buy a slightly used computer. <laughs> yeah, maybe from the trunk of his dealer. I don't know. Right. Will Smith was supposed to come in, but uh, we're told that he was grounded by Jada. I think she's making him polish his little Oscar. Yeah, if I was him, I would have snuck out when she was on her date. Right. Thanks for listening. Be well, and we'll talk to you again next week. Sweet dreams, Sam and Max. This Week in the Barricade is produced by Animus Productions, all rights reserved in perpetuity. Mm-hmm.